love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm here with my co-host, Haley Chura. And Haley, I feel like we're recording this a couple of days before February. Winter is flying by and race season's like within like a glimpse now. Like I feel like it's like starting to be in my calendar view and that like, you know, I don't know, what do I have in my like eight or 12 week view on my training calendar? And so it's crazy that it's here so fast. So you are also racing in March. So how is training going for you? Well, winter does not feel like it's flying by for me. It's 15 below Fahrenheit, uh, below zero Fahrenheit today feels like I am very much in winter. So, and I'm not hating it. Uh, January has been a great month for me actually. And I am an athlete who I think is totally fine doing some stuff indoors or doing stuff in the snow and having things not be like ideal, especially this time of year. I think I kind of enjoy the, the change of everything. And I actually don't feel like races are that soon, but to me, cause to me, like six, eight weeks is like a long time. Like, I feel like a lot can happen. And I had an athlete once who gave me really good advice. I mean, I'm getting advice from my athletes all the time. Don't tell them, but, um, but she was like, she really doesn't like wish away time. She's like, really like enjoys being like in it. And I think about that quite frequently. It's hard to do when you're like doing hard intervals or like in a race and you're like, like to be like, I wish this was over, but, and I try to think about her name's Lauren, but her advice and be like, no, this is it. You're in it. This is your life. Like enjoy this, even though it's uncomfortable in this moment, time flies by and everything changes. And I just want to like appreciate even the difficult moments. So I guess, I guess that's where I am. I feel like that was like very philosophical answer to a straightforward question, but I'm, I'm in winter and I'm enjoying it. Well, I think that cold front is going to be making its way very slowly across the United States, because I think my forecast for Friday and Saturday is Saturday's a high of zero and a low of negative 20. And so you can believe I will be doing my 20 miles that I have to run on the treadmill. Um, wait, so you don't, you won't change it. Cause I mean, this is a pretty short little cold snap. I think it's so like 30 above by like tomorrow or the next day. Yeah. You you won't move around days. I mean, it depends, but this one, no, I mean, first of all, I should come clean that I actually really don't mind the treadmill all that much. So this isn't like a huge ask for me, but, um, because I think if it was like literally one day here or there, I could do it, but it's always so hard to predict. Right. And so, you know, I'm happy on the treadmill and I feel like in this instance, because it does look like the rest of the week can go off as planned and like, it's just, I'll be on the treadmill. Right. So in this instance, I'm not, but I I sometimes would swap it if it was like something else. Um, and, but I'm just going to be thinking about now, just, this is my life. This is my life and be in it, man. On Saturday morning, be excited. Um, I have a few movies lined up. There is a new movie on Amazon prime that came out that I plan on watching while I run. It is about the, um, African-American women who have broken the sub the three hour marathon barrier. And 
we've interviewed a couple of those women on our podcast. And so I I'm hoping that's going to feel like a good chunk of the time and be pretty inspirational for me while I'm running to like train for my own breaking three hour project. So that, I have some, that yeah, does I seem it like sounds like perfect. a good Saturday morning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that actually, yeah. Sika Henry, Shawana White. I think that we've interviewed both of them who are in that, mm-hmm. um, documentary. I, that does sound like a very perfect, I, I, I am curious though, when you run on the treadmill like that, are you doing intervals? Are you just zoning out? Cause I actually have a really hard time watching like TV while running. I, I can do it all on the trainer, but I feel like my head's just like, maybe I like, you know, there's too much up and down movement when I'm running and I like can't focus. Oh, I can't read. There are some people who can read while they're oh. on the treadmill. So that I can't do, but I can definitely watch TV. I do have to keep the subtitles on because it's more my like hearing than anything else. I like, I really, I don't know what goes on with my, my hearing, but, um, but I can read like the subtitles just to kind of like give myself a chance to really understand what's going on. Um, but what was the question again? Oh, are you going to do intervals? Are you just oh, like yeah. sitting oh, yeah. at a pace and just go until it hits 20 miles? No. So this is like, if I was outside, I would be doing just kind of a strength, like time on feet run. And so, um, Hillary did write me like a kind of a, a hilly treadmill workout, but it, the pace is kind of, I'll be going by feel for the day. Um, but I do have like some incline intervals in the way to break up that time, which will be nice. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I'll report back next week. How long do you think a 20 mile treadmill run is going to take you? I mean, I'll find out, I guess I, I like don't even really always do the math other than I probably will right before to make sure I have enough fuel on hand, but in my head, movies, yeah. And so, (laughs) and I have like a couple hard workouts this week. So my legs are probably going to be tired. Right. But like, I'm assuming if I can run between like six and a half and seven miles per hour, right. Is like my intent. That will be like my kind of guesstimate. Right. Because especially for this, where like, I don't have prescribed paces to hit that I could calculate the exact time. I don't want to box myself into thinking like, man, I really hope I feel good enough to be running seven miles, seven to seven and a half miles per hour on Saturday. So it's over quicker. Right. So I don't know. I'll, I'll go with that, like six and a half to seven for planning purposes for fuel and hydration. And then if I feel better and I'm like bumping up the speed a little at the end, cause I feel good, then cool. But like, if I have to bump it down to six to start and like get myself warmed up in the beginning too, that'll be fine too. So you're talking around like three hours then. Yeah. Um, so that's what I feel like that's like two good movies. And, um, yeah, at least with the treadmill, it is very usually pretty easy to access snacks. Are you doing this? Do you have a home treadmill or you go to a gym? Are you like that person on the treadmill for three hours? This is going to be the big question because the home treadmill, I do have a home treadmill and I have like a decent setup and it's not, the basement's cold. It's like perfect running temperatures, like 50 degrees down there. So I like that. Matt would be here to like rotate through with bottles for me, I feel like, but I also like the gym treadmill because then you get like a brief break when it resets at an hour. So the home treadmill will just, it will run for three hours straight and I will be on that sucker. So, and then it like becomes a competition with myself of like, no, you know, I could, I could be like, I have to go to the bathroom, but like, can I hold it to actually stay on for three hours? So I don't know. I kind of like the option of the gym and like, then you get the sensory of like watching other people and like seeing all the weird looks because you've been on the treadmill for two and a half hours already and like things like that. But most likely so I can like have my own movie set up and things like that. I'll probably just do it at home. 
Oh, I am. I love a gym treadmill. I, you know, I, I set up everything like I'm at home at the gym, um, (laughs) which this time of year is a little bit fun. So it is quite busy, but honestly, the gym is always busy in Bozeman, but I will say that, uh, one of my neighbor's daughters worked at my, the gym where I go to right now. And she gave me like some heads up on like which treadmill to go and how to set it up so that it doesn't reset. And so oh. actually that was like really good advice. So I like, can set do you that have up to like that. go into the back panel or something? No, on this one, it was just like setting it up more like manually. Like you couldn't just hit quick start. Like if you just do quick start, it will, this one will actually reset at 30 minutes. So that, but it's like a real nice treadmill, like very like, you know, like $10,000 treadmill. So it's not when I, not like the one I have at home. And, um, and so it's definitely worth it. Like it's great treadmill, but, um, it is like, you have to set everything up manually. So it's a little bit more work on the front end, but pays off when I don't have to like calculate. Cause I used to run on a treadmill that did reset every 30 minutes. And so if you're doing like intervals, I was like, you know, I have like a rest at 23 minutes and I'd be like, okay, I need to reset it now. And I'm definitely like, I, I luckily there's usually always enough treadmills that people aren't waiting, but I am like, Oh, I'm like the person people don't like, but I also bring my own fan. I like sweat all over. I have a bunch of bottles. I mean, there's a lot of things to not like about me. <laughs> You can take your pick. No, I love it. I love it. But, um, that, yeah, we have, I have a woodway here. So I did get a used woodway like a few years ago, Matt and I did. And so I do really like running on that and I'm like very comfortable running on it. Um, and I don't know, mentally, I feel like I'm ready. I don't like running in. do you run in your super shoes on the treadmill? That is one thing that I, I don't, I find that to be that combination of like this carbon plated shoes plus the treadmill to be like too much for me. And so, um, that is one difference I do make when I'm like doing something along. Interesting. Or something on that. Yeah. I do think that's like an interesting topic, like training in the super shoes. So I actually do run some of my faster treadmill runs in Hoka rocket X, which does have a carbon plate. It is not, I don't find it as cushioned as like the Nike alpha flies or vapor flies. And so I don't, I feel like it's, it's different. It's definitely not exactly the same feel, but, um, but I do feel like it gives me a little boost and it also just puts me in like fast mindset. And so I do like that. I think Hoka coming out with the rocket X two, like in March. And I'm interested to, it, I've seen some pictures of it, I think. And it has more, more foam and more cushion, which makes sense. Hoka's like known for all the, um, foam and everything, but, uh, and so I'm excited to like, maybe try that one, but I actually, I do a lot of my like fast training runs in the, rocket X. Um, though I, I race in the Nike. Well, Haley, while we're on the topic of training, I'm going to bring up our mailbag question because we got a mailbag question that has to do with some training, um, topics. So as a reminder, people can send in mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And this comes in from Maggie from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Canada. So you I love, love that. You I love, love that, that word. <laughs> Your favorite province for sure. Uh, it is. It is. It is. Um, and Maggie is, she started training with a coach last year and he set up the program so that she was building her endurance base in zone two after a couple months of training after more than a couple, a number of months of training of trying to build the base in this zone with some harder workouts mixed in, it became apparent that my heart was not responding, responding in a typical way that one would expect. So we switched to training via, um, rate of perceived effort RPE. 
So she knows that both of us coach athletes and particularly women. Have we ever seen before an athlete who didn't respond to specific training zones, heart rate zones? Have we had athletes who have had success with RPE and any advice when it comes to training via RPE? This is great. He'll yeah. take a stab at it first. I guess like when she says athletes who don't respond to training in specific heart rate zones, I would, I mean, my first question would be like, how did you set your zones? Um, because I do think that from working with other athletes and myself over the years, like heart rate varies a lot and you can't necessarily do like 220 minus your age to get like your max heart rate. Um, I don't know if like using like a specific, you know, percentage even for zones always works. I mean, I I think there's a lot of talk in triathlon these days about doing lactate testing. And, and even that, I think you have to like, make sure you're careful. Cause it's like, you want to make sure that you get good data and it's usually probably needs to be done in a lab setting, which is like very hard to do, um, for most of us. So I think that, um, you know, maybe what, maybe the heart rate zones weren't like totally perfect for her in the beginning, which is fine. I think you can learn through actual, just like training. Sometimes you can kind of feel those out. So I do think it's important to not just like look at your favorite athlete online and their YouTube and see what they're doing, their heart rate as, and, and figure that should be yours. Um, because honestly, I think physiology, everything, it has nothing to do with fitness or age necessarily. Um, her rate could just vary. And so, that said, I, I do definitely know a lot of people who have very different heart rates and different athletes who have different heart rates. And I think, I think heart rate is a tool kind of similar to using a power meter on the bike. Um, and I think it's good to have more than one tool because sometimes your heart rate monitor like isn't working. And, um, and we've talked a lot about like wrist heart rate versus chest strap and just again, making, trying to make sure your data is as accurate and as consistent as possible. So like, that's also another one. If you're switching back and forth, the data is going to be a little bit different and just making sure, you know, what kind of data you're looking at. But, um, if for some reason, you know, you aren't getting good heart rate data or you just don't feel like it's, it's a good measure for you. Yeah. Perceived exertion is great. So I think, hopefully you, you know, know your body. I do think you have to kind of be honest with yourself. Like, is this truly an easy effort? And, um, with running, I think frequently, uh, people use like, can you have a conversation? You know, can you, can you chat while, while having, uh, while running? And that is usually like an easy enough, uh, effort. So I, I do think it's important for everyone, even if, even if you do respond well to heart rate training to also have a good idea about perceived exertion. Yeah, I would agree with everything you've said. I would also say for the question of have we had athletes who have had success in training with RPE, I would be like, well, I've had athletes who have had success and also myself is a success. Um, I've never been given a word. I've been coached by Hillary Biscay for um, over 10 years now, and she's never given me a workout via heart rate. So it has been all through perceived exertion and using like power and stuff like that, but, um, never heart rate. So I would say that the things I have done have been successful. So that is like a good vote of confidence. And that's been always the way I have also coached my athletes. And I've had plenty of success, um, with athletes who do that. I think I find a lot of times, um, you know, part of it for me also was like, I, I just prefer to like, go on my own perceived exertion and how I'm feeling and how I'm feeling like going hard and going easy and stuff. I think that makes training and it always has made training more enjoyable for me and some of the things that I've been doing. So, 
Um, it's been a really kind of useful tool. And I think you absolutely can still get fitter and faster and compete at any level that you want to using that. Um, and definitely, I think I have never really, I'm trying to think if I ever have, and I don't think I have ever once told an athlete that they were going too easy, right. By their like perception of easy. And so, I think that is really, really important. I think, um, making sure you are like Haley said, honest with yourself about like, is this truly easy on the day and not falling into comparison then with paces and being like, well, you know, 10 minute pace felt easy yesterday. And now with 11 minute pace, but I should probably go faster because I, I want it to be 10 minute, like not doing those types of things, you know, have maybe a checklist for yourself. Like how do my lungs feel? How do my legs feel? Like, does everything feel easy? Yes. Like then screw the watch. Who cares what that says? Right. So, um, I think that's, probably one of the the biggest hurdles for people to get over when they start training that way. But as you use that, you will definitely, like I would say, keep wearing your heart rate strap and gathering that data so that like Haley said, you have that heart rate like tool in your toolbox too, to be using. And as you get more data, I bet some of that with your zones will become more clear. So thanks for Thanks for the question, Maggie. And again, others can send in questions to iron women podcast at gmail.com. All right. Are we, are we at interview time, Melissa? I think we are Haley. And this is a really fun chat we had today. We talked to India cook. She is an Atlanta based runner, marathoner, race announcer, YouTube vlogger, podcast host, and RRCA certified run coach. So she does it all. The last time we saw India was actually at our iron women podcast live in Atlanta. So we catch up with her on time since then, find out how she got into running, what motivates her to be a game changer and the things she's doing now, getting others into the sport she loves, including coaches. So we will hear from India after the break. Hi, India. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you all so much for having me. So we actually last saw you three years ago at the Iron Women podcast live from Atlanta, your home base. And I was like thinking of how to kind of lead in with my questions. And I realized it's massively unfair to be like, what have you been up to since then? So, (laughs) um, but I do want to ask you about Atlanta because Haley obviously knows Atlanta. Well, she's repping her Atlanta track club t-shirt today, and it's played a special part in her athletic journey as well as several of our guests that we've had through the years. So what do you think it is that makes Atlanta such a special community for athletes? Uh, I think that Atlanta is such a melting pot. And when I say melting pot, there are so many different diverse backgrounds, nationalities, abilities, um, so much going on here. Obviously, the Olympics in 96 was here. So I just think a lot of people are just kind of here to enjoy. And it just comprises, obviously, in the running community for me of so many run groups. And I think that you can plug into run groups on every level, like depending upon what you're doing, obviously from elites at the Atlanta Track Club, all the way down to your new new runners, people that are just joining onto the running scene. Um, so I just feel like there's so many different opportunities and abilities, a, a lot of great groups and a lot of great organizations as well that really dig into the athletic world here in Atlanta. So it's a variety of things to do. It has earned the name Running City USA. I love that For a reason. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) and I notice it when I go back. I'm like, 
I'm like, there are a lot of people running like there it's are. everywhere. And it, it's kind of has a reputation as a very car centric city, but mm-hmm. I'm like, no, no, no. It's great for all outdoor activities. No, seriously. It has. And I think for me, I'm born and raised in Atlanta. So I have seen it definitely develop. And for me, I've seen, there's so many different, um, trails as well. So like paved trails, um, and dirt trails, but paved trails as well, that takes, you know, us off of the streets, but I just feel like the streets are getting better. They're giving more of a, the bike lane and pedestrian lanes, um, are, are, they're doing that, but they're also just including a lot of those paved trails that can take you out for miles and you can really get out and enjoy it regardless of how your, what your transportation is, whether it be bike or whatever it is. Yeah, it's great. And, and you, as you mentioned, you grew up in Atlanta and I believe you grew up like dancing and cheerleading. You dabbled in track and field. I and did. Then, yeah. And then you had a family tradition that took you to the Peachtree road race, um, around 2008. Is that right? That is, you did your research. That is correct. All of that is right. So yes. Yeah, so my background is heavy in dancing and cheerleading. Um, so of course, Unfortunately, track and field was something that I did for a little bit of time, but the distance running was something that I did not love. It was almost like punishment when my coach used to tell me to go run a mile before or after. And sometimes, unfortunately, if we got in trouble, we had to go run miles. Um, So it was not, it was like a a very uh, negative relationship that I had during high school when it came to running. Uh, But here as an adult, here I am now doing it often. And my dad would run the Peachtree Road Race, and that's how I was kind of opened up into the sport of racing. I would go cheer him on. Um, I wasn't at that time running and doing it physically with him, but we would just go out on the, on the, on this, on the road and cheer him on with that. So I was very familiar with it and it was definitely fun to see. And that was fortunately my very first race was the Peachtree Road Race. And it is a race that I do every single year and I will probably continue to do it even if I decide to leave Atlanta as my resident. So And so how do you go from, I think you were a semi-professional cheerleader and now four-time marathon finisher. And it's, you know, that's taken a decade or more than a decade to, to have that transition. How do you, how do you keep yourself in the sport now? I mean, knowing that it has been quite a bit of time. Well, I think for me, it is so dancing and cheerleading. I think I definitely have left that behind at this point. Um, it is I, something that I still love to see. And if if I'm afforded the opportunity to have children, um, I would love for my daughter and everything to get involved in that because I still love it. Um, but as far as the fitness piece of it, I think for me, when I stopped doing cheerleading and dancing, I said, what am I, what is it something that I can do to stay fit, but also continue to be social? Um, because I love the social aspect of dancing and cheerleading between being on the field community, you know, with the guys, it's just a very team camaraderie type thing. And that's when I kind of dropped myself into running. And then when I used to see people at the end of races and they would be high-fiving their run groups and fun, I'm like, how can I get involved in this? So it was me connecting with run groups here in Atlanta. And honestly, that's what still keeps me connected um, and being able to have kind of that spark from cheerleading in that kind of team sport is connecting with run groups and connecting and having friends and family here at races when I am doing my races and connecting with organizations like Atlanta Track Club. So I feel like it's a mix of fitness and social is really big for me. And so being able to merge those two together allows me to keep, keep it going. And India, you also have a YouTube channel, Miles Mm -hmm. from India, where you chronicle your training, racing, 
and a lot of your like bits and pieces of your life, like your wedding yes. and planning and processes <laughs> that are going into that. Right. So yes. how did the idea for the, the vlog come about? Like, did you feel like kind of the video format was going to suit you better than maybe a traditional blog or something would? Yes. So I will say, um, I actually started vlogging back in 2017. So I started when I was going to start my, well, start the training of my first marathon and that was Chicago. Um, but I did it on Facebook only. I was a little skittish to do it on YouTube because you know, YouTube, you're opening yourself up to the world. It's not just who knows you on Facebook. Um, so I did it on Facebook. It was one of those things where people found out that I was going to start training for my first marathon. And I was getting a lot of questions, honestly. So I was like, well, you know what? Let me document this. And I will tell you all, I am not the best writer. It takes me forever to do my captions sometime on Instagram. So I knew that I couldn't do like a traditional blog. I said, but I love the camera. I love being talking in front of people. So I was like, let's go the vlogging way instead of doing a traditional blog. Um, and at that time as well, I knew I didn't want to solely do a podcast at that time because um, there's a lot more tech stuff in the background that I felt like I just wasn't there for. So the video worked out for me. Um, so I started there on Facebook for 2017 and 2018. I did the Chicago Marathon both times and I decided to, to just document my process. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't anything too deep into it. It was, first of all, people were asking me, but then second of all, I guess it is a little bit deeper. I felt like when I started running distance, I did not find people that looked like me on YouTube or any in a video style format. Um, I felt like there was a lot of elite, a lot of super fast people. Unfortunately, I couldn't identify with them. Um, so at that time, I just said, you know what? I'm going to be what I don't see. Um, and that was putting it on and vlogging for all, not only for myself to kind of see my journey and where I've been, but for other people and to inspire other individuals to show them that they can do it as well, regardless of how fast they are, how, you know, how like, the amount of experience that they have, whatever weight they are, whatever it is, like you can do it too. If I can get out there and do it, you can put your mind to it as well. So, um, so I will backpedal and say, I guess it was a little bit deeper than I expected. And I think from now it's just kind of catapulted into that. Um, so 2017, 2018, um, and then during the pandemic, honestly, you all, I just said, you know what, let me stop being shy and get on YouTube because I feel like I, I can reach such a bigger audience. Um, so I decided to do that on YouTube and transition from that. So the vlogs for when I first started in 2017, 2018 are still on my Facebook page. Um, but transitioning them to YouTube, it was just very grainy because it was so long ago. <laughs> so. so while you have YouTube as this like solo endeavor, and then you have now your podcast run, do a podcast with mm -hmm. uh, Tommy Mitchell. So you have that. Mm -hmm. And then you're also a prolific Instagram poster. So do you find that, you know, each platform does like serve a different part of maybe your personality and how you like to express yourself, but also connect with a different part of the run community? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's so funny. I, I feel like I, when it comes to my YouTube, I feel like I'm more informational and I try to be as transparent as possible on there because I feel like that's where, like, I'm like, these are, this is the realness. This is the grit. This is what's really going on in my training process. And there's like no holding back for that. Um, I feel like on my podcast, it is um, me being more of like a media information, like giving information about kind of races and things that are going on, but also more like of the 
I don't want to say political side of running, but I feel like I give more of my intel on how I feel about racing and the political things that come up in racing. So I feel like the podcast is more so of that. And then also because I am a female and my partner is a male, sometimes we get that back and forth banter of how men handle sports versus women and kind of what that looks like and some of the politics that come out with it and some of the things that commentary or people say. And I I just kind of, it's more banter um, on the podcast. And then as far as my my Instagram, I just feel like I love taking pictures and on there, I kind of just am more, I feel like more inspirational, kind of let people know it's okay to not be, not be a hundred percent. It's okay to just, to meet yourself where you are and go from there. So I honestly feel like I have three different audiences on all different platforms and unfortunately they don't all translate to be the same, um, but that's fine. I just love reaching whoever I can. And I know you've mentioned some of the challenges with YouTube. Um, did, have you been able to find an editor? Are you still looking? No, I haven't. I am still looking. That is something that would totally take a load off of me is to have someone to edit. But I will also tell you as well, Haley, I am. It would probably take a lot more um, convincing of myself to say, OK, India, give it up because, you know, it's kind of <laughs> hard. I know that I need it. But I'm also, it's still going to take a couple more moments for me to say, okay, India, just give it up. They know kind of what they're doing and just do it. But yes, I am still looking for an editor. If y'all have anyone in mind, let me know. <laughs> I know. Well, we need to put out a call of action because I want more videos. I'm yes. like, I do understand they are a lot of work. They are. <laughs> but I'm like, have... you do a lot of content. And like, you say you have a lot of content. And I so do. I'm like, we just need to make sure we get this onto YouTube. Yes. The amount of, con- the amount of content that I have that has not reached YouTube is actually really sad. Like I have so many videos that I just... Honestly, it just takes a lot of time. I love doing the the shooting and I love sitting and talking and even my action shots at races and things of that nature. Like I love doing that, but honestly, it takes hours out of my day to edit. And it's just probably because I'm not very tech savvy, but I think for in general, for people, the editing piece is usually a lot. So do you like, (laughs) do you enjoy just like filming yourself while you're running, filming yourself while at races? You don't feel odd or anything. It's just like, nope, this is how this, you know, it's kind of normal now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm used to it. I think more so here in Atlanta, I'm used to it. I usually, when I go to races, most people, you know, know me and they're like, they're like wanting to get on the video, like, Hey, YouTube, like they're excited to, to see me doing it. So no, I don't feel, um, as awkward anymore. I think I did in the beginning. And I think sometimes I shift as well, depending upon how serious I'm taking a race. So if it's a race that I'm like really trying to stay focused, I, it is a lot to bring out my GoPro or, you know, my phone or whatever to do my videoing. Um, so if I'm really trying to focus on a race, more than likely you won't see too much from me um, on a race, but I kind of pick and choose which ones um, that I think would be fun or exciting for uh, our, my viewers to see. So. And India, in addition to all the content, you're like one of the busiest women alive. So you have also served on the board of advisors for the 8020 Endurance Foundation and helped yes. select grant recipients for their Coaches of Color initiative. We also know that you're an advocate for the Game Changers program that aims to encourage more women of color to become run coaches. So can you tell us a little bit about your passion for seeing more people of color and especially women of color in coaching positions? Yeah, definitely. I just think that it, it kind of ties back into being what you don't see much of. And I just really feel like if you, it's all about exposure. And I think when it comes to the, the coaching piece, and I'll just kind of do a little piece on me. So I've had a couple of coaches in my life, um, both of which were people of color, but the first one 
was a male coach. And although a very good coach, very, very well-known coach, I feel like there was just certain things as a male coaching a female that I feel like I didn't, I I feel like he couldn't identify with some of the things that I was dealing with, whether that be personal, physical, whatever it is. I am a big advocate that says, you know, when it comes to coaching, you have to really shop for a coach like you do a doctor. Like it's very important to have that relationship with them um, to make sure that you can connect with them. And I think a lot of times there are some people of color that are interested in kind of elevating themselves in the in the running industry and in the community of running but maybe they don't feel comfortable reaching out to people that are not a person of color um, or they don't feel like they see them. And it's not as if we're not out here um, because there are like I know I can give you a whole list of people of color that are that are coaches. Um, but I just feel like when it comes to the exposure of that and where we're being seen in a lot of the media platforms, it's a lot less than than others. Um, so for me, it's really important for me to continue to facilitate and communicate and involve myself with organizations that's that's doing best to amplify that voice and, and just the narrative and the visual of what it is to be a person of color. And I think as far as women, I think in general, even if we're not even talking about race, I think there's just less women seen in the run of the, the area of sport when it comes to coaching. Um, and it is, is even more taboo to have a woman of color um, being seen and and, and doing big things. And so just on the on the space of that, I think it's just important for us to continue to spread our knowledge where we can, getting more people into the sport of running, and more importantly, being able to have coaches that can empathize with their athletes and their clients. Um, I think that there's just certain things that as women, regardless of race, as women, there's things that we deal with, whether it be menstrual cycles and just life, whether it be being a mom, like, you know, just a lot of different things can happen that maybe a male coach may not dig into some of those things when you're a coach, you know, for a female. And it may not be that you're not educated on them, but you may not feel comfortable talking about some of those things. Um, and there may be a simple thing or not even simple, but a simple thing of, hey, your coach is asking you to go out for a certain amount of miles and you might live in an area that you don't feel comfortable running running through because you are a person of color. But if you're being coached by someone that's not, those, those are certain things that may not be on the top front, front part of their mind that may, they may think about. Um, so I think that there's just a lot of facets of the coaching area, whether it be super personal or super technical, that I think that we would value from having a plethora of different backgrounds, understandings, education, and obviously, if you're a male or female, and obviously your race, that will allow the running community to continue to diversify. And I was looking around at the Game Changers website earlier, and they were talking about the mission, you know, was awareness, the piece that you've definitely mm -hmm. explained right now, but also the certification and the cost yeah. of that certification. And I believe mm -hmm. you have a Roadrunners Call of America RRC. Yes. Certification I am a as a run coach. Mm -hmm. So you are, you are living your own um, advice, I guess. Yes. Um, so what, how did that certification, how does that help you and how would it help others in pursuing the dream of coaching? Yeah. So for me, it was a piece of it was I was already giving, I guess, uncertified advice to people, right? People were asking me questions um, about running and asking for direction. Um, and at, it got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable continuing to give advice to people without being certified. So I was like, you know what? I need to, like, I want, I need to, so that I'm not a disservice to the people that I'm communicating with. 
Um, and the other piece to it is just like I was mentioning before, be what you don't see. And, and I said, I need to become a part of that number of um, women of color that are certified. Um, but also, honestly, doing my YouTube channel, it really pushed me to also become certified because on some of those videos, I am giving advice, technical advice. And it may not be as fancy as some other YouTube people, because I actually like to really, what I consider simplify my knowledge to my viewers, because I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of people that come into or want to come into the running space. And we have all these acronyms and fancy words and, you know, anaerobic and tempo and all of these things that if you're new to the sport, you're not going to know any of those things. So being able to bring that knowledge down. So for me, it was not only communicating with people that may not have been hiring me on as a coach, but we're needing knowledge. And I wanted to make sure I was providing the right information, being what I didn't see, as well as, you know, if I'm going to be on these platforms and giving education, I need to make sure I have the credentials to back it up. <laughs> and has that worked? I mean, are you, you're working with athletes and are you yeah. seeing great results? Yes, it definitely has. Um, I will say when I first started coaching, I really like bust the door wide open. I had a lot of clients on my roster and I honestly probably bit off to more than I could chew. Um, and I just say that in the way of it kept me very, very busy. So I definitely have scaled back on the amount of clients that I am coaching at the time. But yeah, it has been a great benefit. It has been a great benefit to that knowledge. And of course, when you are a coach, it's not just getting that certification. It's ongoing. You have to continue to read your books and go to different, you know, retreats and things of that nature to get more information as well. But yes, it has been a huge benefit for me. I think I saw on your website that you currently have a full roster for 2023, but you, yes. you do have a wait list. So that's a good problem <laughs> to have as a coach. It is. And I think it's also like for me, 2023, obviously you all alluded, I'm very busy. I'm getting married this year. Um, and as well as just, I'm race announcing now. So I'm just trying to make sure that I'm really big on, I don't like to slight any of my athletes. Like, and I know that I do a lot in the running community, whether I'd be race announcing, working with Atlanta track club, all my ambassadorships on boards and things of that nature. But just because I'm a busy person doesn't mean I should slight any of my athletes. And so I would rather take a smaller roster than to have a have 10, 15 people on my roster just to say that I'm coaching all these people and not giving them the service that they deserve. In some of your posts and your vlogs, you, you know, it's very clear whether, you know, sometimes you explicitly say it, but it's very clear that you have a very positive and healthy relationship with running and in our, the running community, I think it's fair to say that that's not something that's simple to achieve. Many would find it actually like pretty challenging to develop that kind of a positive relationship. So do you have any tips or like, how have you managed to kind of build that healthy relationship with running within your own life? Yeah, I think, I think my healthy relationship with life has come from just my, my history um, prior to being, I work in human resources now, but prior to me doing that, I have 10 years of mental health experience. So I worked in the mental health environment. So I think that just that training and my degrees within that has just really forced me to, to say, India, you have the knowledge within this, don't get into a, a bad relationship. But I think for me, I learned over the time or the years of my life of with running that my why and the reason why I run has shifted. It has shifted a lot. In the beginning, it was weight loss, and then it trans transitioned into being social. And then now it is obviously just I'm staying fit, but also just having the social ability it has turned into a business for me. And so I think for me, it's all about meeting yourself where you are. I think a lot of times we get so wrapped up into the goals and we get so wrapped up into where we used to be 
that it forces us to have a very unhealthy relationship with the running. But instead, if you say, you know what, this is where I am now, reassess your why, whether that change every time you do it. But I just think you just really have to say, what am I doing at this moment? Why am I doing it? And how can I stay in it, accept and appreciate where I am in the moment? I think, honestly, it takes a lot for us to um, accept that life happens, things change, whether it be work or your fitness or injuries or family, whatever it is. I think a lot of times if we don't stay present and we don't stay in the moment, it'll cause us to kind of obsess and try to force ourselves to get to where we want to be instead of really analyzing where we are now and saying it's okay to be where you are now. Um, I think also I am very big on, even though I'm on social media a lot, trying not to compare. Um, I think that that's the biggest thing. Um, Social media is a gift and a curse, curse to me. Like it's one of those things where A lot of times we can get on there, we can compare ourselves to other people, but it's like we really have to just accept you are where you are for a reason. Um, And I just really have to preach to that to myself all the time as well. But it's one thing to ignore comparison on social media. It's another thing when you've opened yourself up to comments on Uh, YouTube. And I know you read the comments. Let's talk about that. I I read all of my comments. (laughs) You respond. So, I mean, are you ever, is it ever a struggle with that? When it's like, it's not that you were scrolling and you saw something comparison, but it's someone actually like trying to get in touch with you. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So I think for me, I definitely have to, I have to work on, cause I feel obligated to, um, to respond. I run into people sometimes and they're like, Oh, you're all over the place. You're famous. And I tried my best, honestly, you all to stay very humble about the, the, where running has gotten me to. Like, I just really feel like it's very important to understand. I started this because I wanted to inspire other people. I was that person on people's YouTube asking questions and making comments. Um, and so I want to just kind of ensure that anyone that's viewing and taking time to look at my posts or take time to look at my my YouTube that I'm responding to them. Um, I do have to set boundaries though, because I, I don't always have positive comments on my YouTube. I get negative comments to people commenting on my body or my pace or people that comment on a decision that I may have made at a race. My first negative comment on YouTube was, a guy that was telling me I shouldn't have run a race and knowing that I wasn't trained the way that I should have been trained. And he just kind of went in on me about it. And I'm like, I understand. I'm not, I understand that wasn't the best decision. None of us are perfect. I'm pretty sure all of us have run a race that we know we should have just pulled out of. I think everyone has done that. Um, But at at the end of the day, it was also showing people that you can do hard things, but also showing people that you don't have to do hard things if you're not ready for them, but also just being transparent. I think when it comes to social media, we have we don't have enough athletes being transparent about their journey and the hard days. Um, and we have so many PRs and this is great and I'm doing this and I'm qualifying for this, but it's like the in-between time, I feel like is what we're missing more of on all social media platforms. What about using social media to kind of call out, you know, other people or organizations. Uh, and I watched, you know, your New York city marathon recap, and you talked about starting in the last wave mm-hmm. and the difference in spectator, you know, spectator experience versus when you were a spectator versus when you were one of the athletes running on the course later in the day. And I thought mm-hmm. it was a really poignant message for, you know, those of us who preach inclusion in the sport. And so can you kind of share that with our listeners? Yeah. So for me, when it comes to, I will say I'm very strategic when it comes to calling out brands. 
<laughs> and in people for their actions. And the reason why I say that is because just the work that I'm in, um, I feel like there's a way that you can call people out for their stuff without being negative and sounding like a negative Nancy and just like blacklisting people. Like, I just feel like there's a, there's a professional way to go about to go about it. Um, but for me, I definitely felt like, you know, when it came to the New York City Marathon, it's all about showing someone or letting someone hear a different perspective. And I feel like if we don't communicate on your, your perspective, people won't have an open eye on what else it could look like for them, right? So people be not being out at the, at, um, on the New York Roadrunners on the New York City Marathon course after a certain amount of time, I understand it. There's people that have been out there since this morning because they wanted to see the elite. The elite started at 8.30 in the morning, right? Like they were done within a couple hours. I had not even told the starting line. So to expect someone to be out there for 10, 11 hours, I totally get it. Like nobody wants to do that. However, I just, I think my call out to for that instance is there are a lot of run groups that talk about inclusion. There's a lot of run groups that says, we meet you where you are, any paces are welcome, da 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 But when y'all have run groups set up or cheer squad, squad set up, you need to take that onto that message onto scheduling your cheer, your cheer squads. You shouldn't just have cheer squads out for four, for four hours just to see the elite. If you're really including everybody and you want people to start coming out to your run groups and actually feel included and feel, feel welcome, you need to continue to be out there for the back of the pack runners as well. Um, so for me, it's all about perspective, voicing what other perspectives that could be coming across and just letting people know how it could be seen or perceived and how some people's actions, they think that they're being inclusive, but they're really not. So, and India, New York City was your fourth marathon and the second of your world majors, right? Yes, Are you on yes. a quest to run all of the world majors? World majors only. World majors only. I, you all will not catch me at a, a, a any other marathon. <laughs> the marathon distance, I do not love. Um, I do not love the marathon distance, even though it is definitely a mental and physical challenge for me. I just don't love it. I love the half marathon distance, but yes, I would love to get all of my world majors done. That is a goal of mine. Do you have What's one on the, the calendar for or 2023? I don't. I okay. don't. Okay. I don't have anything on the calendar yet for 2023. Honestly, for 2023, I think I have two 5Ks at this point. So I'm taking it easy. I'm getting married in March. And so I'm just kind of coasting into 2023 right now. What is the draw of the World Marathon Majors? Is it that the six-star medal? Is that is that what, what you want? So I, I love medals. I have a huge medal set up in my house. And yes, the medals. But I think it's the being able to travel um, and being able to go to different places that usually you traditionally wouldn't go to. And honestly, there's a, there is less population of people of color running those races than none. And I would love to be added to the list of people that haven't completed all six stars. Yeah. And I think you had another goal of running a half marathon in every state. Is that yes. still on the docket? That is still on the docket as well. That is still on the docket as well. I'm hoping over the next year or so I can pick back up some. Um, I was at one point I was doing like a race every weekend and I was going really, really hard on racing. Um, but yes, that is still on the docket. I honestly feel like I will probably complete the 50 states sooner than the world majors just because life. Um, and I feel like it'll be a little bit easier. But yes, those are both on um, my list. And I don't have a finish line for those. I know some people are like, oh, before I hit 50 or before a certain age, they want to get those done. I don't have a finish line for them, but I just want to continue to chip away at them. 
Yeah. Well, if you need Montana or Vermont, you, yeah. you know us. You know yes. who yeah. Yes. Yes. Y'all have to let me know which ones y'all suggest because I haven't been out there yet. <laughs> oh, good. We good. We're glad that you you still have us on your list. Yes, on, on I do. On the today. <laughs> yes. And you mentioned that you are a race announcer as well. So mm-hmm. how did you get started in this? You know, like, I mean, again, it seems like you have a full plate. So what made you be like, you know, I'm going to take something else on. That's going to take up a lot of time on my weekends in person. (laughs) So honestly, it was, I even, even though I'm, so let's just say this for my podcasting, it's every other Tuesday. We don't do every week. So I know that every other Tuesday night I am recording my podcast. So I know that that time is set aside. Very luckily, my partner is does all the technical stuff, so I don't have to worry about editing there. Um, and so it was kind of one of those things where when it came to races, it's either I was running a race or I would go and volunteer and cheer at races. And a lot of times I was kind of pulling up the back of the pack and giving the love to the people in the back of the pack. Um, so it was one of those things where I said, I'm already doing this. Um, and it was a race a couple of years ago. And I heard one of the race announcers say something kind of kind of out of pocket. It was just, it was, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a comment where I'm like, that person isn't a runner. Why would they say that? It was like a comment, almost like you're almost there knowing that you're not almost there. It was one of the, yeah, it was one of those comments. And I was like, oh, like, why do they keep hiring these non-runners to do these race announcing gigs and saying stuff they shouldn't be saying? Um, But it was one of those things where I said, I'm already going to races. That situation happened. I literally independently go to races to cheer people on regardless on if I'm running or not um and I love the mic it just kind of honestly fell right into what I'm already doing between blogging and podcasting and being on the mic and I've had some people ask me to do a couple things for them when it comes to um some announcing and I just decided to kind of fall into that and see where it goes and it has honestly taken off like it has taken off a lot more than I expected it to so now I have to Oh, a favorite race to announce or a favorite race distance? Um, I I honestly love, so I do every December, I do, it's a race called the West Side 10 and it's here in Atlanta and it's a 10 miler and a 10K. And I love it because I feel like it's right in the middle. It's not quite a half marathon. Super hilly, uh, right? Yes, yes, yes. Super hilly. So, but it's a great race. And I love that the race director, Tess is a good friend of mine. Um, and she always puts on great events. So I really love that distance um, to be able to do. And I really, 10K as well, but the 10 miler is fun too. Okay. And is it, I mean, are there any like special finish line celebrations that you really like or anything, anything special about that? I mean, are you trying to like keep the energy up through the entire, entire event? Yeah. I will honestly say I kind of tap back into my cheerleading world when I'm an announcer. (laughs) (laughs) I am like yelling on the mic. You can probably hear me a mile away. So I definitely tap back into my cheerleading voice. Um, I am that person that's really very, very hype, very exciting, you know, congratulating you across the, th- the across the line. Um, the takeoff and the finish is what I love. There's some races like I did the Lululemon 10K. I was a finish line announcer. So it was in two different places. Um, I love being at the finish line. Start lining is fine too. But if it's a race where it's split, I would prefer to be at the finish line. Um, but something that I love, honestly, you all is being in Atlanta in race announcing and race announcing races in Atlanta is it's a different feel because there's so many people that do know me and 
to see their faces knowing that I called their name out when they crossed this, the finish line. It's just a, it's a joy for me. And it's a, like a, that extra leg up when um, I'm able to call someone's name that definitely knows me um, to be able to hear their name on a loud intercom is, is exciting for them. So it's an extra push for me. And again, being a woman female, um, race announcer, like that's limited as well. Um, when I first started race announcing, I reached out to Allie on the run. She's someone that I fully, you know, I, I look up to um, in this space. And it was just really fun to be able to see her and, and continue to just elevate what we're doing. So yes, I am that loud. Some people probably are like, oh my gosh, she's so loud, but it works for me. <laughs> well, I think our listeners would agree that you are one of the best energies in running. You do it all running, announcing, podcasting, vlogging, coaching. You know, when you look at everything that you're doing, what do you hope that your legacy is within the running community? Mm, that's such a great question. Um, I think what you just said, just being positive, um, inspiring someone um, to continue to do what they do. Um, for me, it is definitely whenever I get a message that says, thank you for this, or you inspired me to keep going, or I started running because of something you said, that fuels me. So if I can continue that legacy, and if there's people that continue to push their limits and continue to get out on the pavement and continue to set aside those negative thoughts about what it is to be a runner because of something I said or did. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. That's what I want is, is to just continue and it continues to diversify the sport. And you mentioned limited race schedule, big event coming in March. Um, can you <laughs> like, are you okay? Do you know your, your race announcing schedule? Are you okay with people coming up and saying hi to you? I mean, it seems like you would be, but oh, yeah. I don't want to like, oh, yeah, I don't want to yeah. shout it out to the, be like, oh, say hi to India, but, um, Please do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you know where you'll be, where people can see you? Uh, I mean, in the Atlanta area or anywhere else at races, yes, anything so coming up? Mm -hmm. So yes, definitely. Um, please, first of all, please come say hello. I, I actually hate when people message me like, I saw you, but I was scared to say hi. And I'm like, no, I am a regular Joe Blow. Please come say hello. I will give you a hug. Let's take a selfie, whatever it is. Like, I love all the love. So yes, please come say hi. Um, so my next race is the Atlanta Union, Atlanta Union Mission that's here um, going on. It's um, in a couple of weeks. I don't have my actual calendar out, but it's in a couple of weeks. It is a race that gives back to um, our homeless population here in Atlanta. So every registration goes towards a night of someone living of uh, someone living in a shelter. So that's a really big race for me. I have not raced that a race announced that race before, but it's a it's a really good race. So I have that on the docket. I have a Galentine's 5K on the docket. And then I am going to be doing some exciting things. Can't announce it yet for the Publix weekend for Atlanta Track Club. So y'all will be seeing me doing some things for that. <laughs> well, we'll be sure to link to all of the ways our listeners can follow you. So they can, yeah, especially follow this wedding situation going into March. <laughs> We're all very excited for this too. Yes. Um, I know. I've some people are like, please give me the running content back. We're glad that you're getting married. <laughs> and then I have some people that's like more wedding content. And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think give it all. They can pick and choose as they want. It's good. Right. <laughs> um, and thank you so much for taking the time today. We will definitely be encouraging people to come up to you and, uh, you know, just thankful for the energy that you bring to our community. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you all both so much for having me. And thank you for continuing to have this podcast that you all have. It's amazing. Alyssa, we talked to uh, India about that Game Changers program that supports more women of color in coaching through awareness and financial assistance and getting their RRCA coaching certification. And 
Um, I actually just saw the article in Outside Magazine that came out this week about Vanessa C. Peralta Mitchell, who the woman behind that program. And India did encourage us to donate to the vcpm.com and that Game Changers program. And I think both you and I did. And uh, hopefully, if our listeners want to join us, they can check out that article as well as vcmpm v oh my goodness vcpm.com uh to learn more yes yes so we will link to all of that in the show notes for everyone it's a really great program i love to see it getting off the ground getting some good attention and um having india as a part of it i think you know it's got to be good yeah and thanks again to india for coming on the show we'll be watching for her at races this year and Alyssa, stay warm as that cold front hits heads your way and good luck on that treadmill run. Thanks, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.